you have a Bible with you, should probably open it up to the book of Proverbs. So far as we've gone through the book of Proverbs, we've been able to sit down in larger sections. Uh, today, that's not going to be possible. So as important as it is to get out the book of Proverbs, you need to have some quick fingers or what is probably best just to have a pen and a paper available to you so you can take down notes because we will be kind of flying around the book of Proverbs this morning. Our God, from the very beginning of his word to us, is a God of speech. The very first act that we read of in the Bible, the very first act we read of about God, the very first act in all of the world, is God creating the universe simply through his word. He spoke and things came into being. His word is a powerful one. It is a force that is unlike any force that can create from nothing. And that word is so central, it's so perfect, and so necessary a part of God that even as we've left the Gospel of John, we are reminded of the beginning of the Gospel of John, that that word was none other than the second person of the Trinity, who would one day, of course, become incarnated as Jesus Christ. To say then that speech matters to God is, well, frankly, an understatement of the grossest variety. Language or communication or speech is part and parcel of what God is. It is necessary as an aspect of God's triunity, for he can only be triune if he communicates with the other people in the Trinity. It is a necessary aspect of God. God could not be God if he was not a God who spoke. It is part and parcel of how we know him. It is part and parcel of the salvation that he himself has secured for us. So, anyone who might say that language and speech are powerless or they are void of impact or that we can pay too close of attention to the things that come out of our mouth, strike at the very nature of God, and I think at Christian thought, we might tell our children sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. We tell them that knowing full well that that is wrong, that it's not true, And the worst part is our kids know it as well. Death has entered the world because of words. Wars have been engaged because of words. Men spill blood over words, ideas, thoughts, concepts, things that can only be conceived of through the use of language have both aided Western civilization to become the greatest source of peace, harmony and economic vitality the world has ever known and is also the reason why Stalin, Hitler and Pol Pot are able to kill millions of people before they are dealt with. It is not so much that the pen is mightier than the sword or that the word is greater than a gun so much as it is that it gives it its aim and its stroke. So it's no wonder that scripture should take so much time and it does a lot of time in directing us on how we ought to use our tongues, how we ought to use our mouths, and the way we ought to speak to one another. So today as we come to the book of Proverbs, we will pay attention to that aspect of our lives. Simply, how are we to speak? What are we to speak? What are the effects of that speech ought to be? Before we begin going through the book of Proverbs, or I shouldn't even say that. Before we begin looking at aspects of the book of Proverbs, I want to mention a couple things about what we're going to be doing today. First, 
This is not meant to be the epitome of a summary about what the book of Proverbs says about speech. I couldn't do that for you if I wanted to, and certainly we don't have enough time today. I didn't have enough time in my week to prepare anything that would have been close to that. This is but a rough and ready summary of something that the book of Proverbs says. It doesn't even begin to dent the mountainous volumes that we could write and learn from about how we are to speak from the book of Proverbs. That is only from the book of Proverbs as well. That's not even talking about the other portions of Scripture that direct us to how we are to speak to one another. To that end as well, while I have tried to categorize these things, you can disagree with my categories, and that's fine. You might even go through the book of Proverbs yourself and categorize these things differently. That's fine. You might find other categories that I haven't even had here or hadn't even thought of. That also is fine. This is simply a way to introduce you to the ways in which Proverbs speaks about our own speech. So, what might Proverbs have to tell us about how we speak? We're basically going to look at two different things in our speech today. First, the nature of our speech, how we manage it, that is, how we speak and what it is used for. And secondly, the effects that our speech should have. When wise people speak, what are the effects of that speech? Let's go to the first part of that first. What is the nature of wise speech? The first thing we find about the nature of wise speech is that you should speak patiently. You should speak patiently. That is, wise people who follow the wisdom of Scripture and the wisdom of Proverbs learn how to shut their mouths when they ought to and how to think through how they ought to respond to situations. It seems today that what we have is when it comes to words, that attitude of the Old West and all those great duels that you used to see. Think of Tombstone and Doc Holliday and all of those great scenes that you used to have in, in, in all those Westerns. That is exactly how every single person seems to want to respond to every single situation that comes up. They want to be the first person to write a blog post about it. They want to be the first person to report it. They want to be the first person to respond to it. They want to be the first person to comment on it. They use their phones as though they were guns in the Old West. They're quick draws. I tried doing that. I threw my phone like 14 feet. It was horrible. (laughs) So listen, it's not that they're leaving dead people in their wake. What they're leaving in their wake is quite often truth. And it's a bloody and tendrilled mess to actually clean it up and put it back together. This is the way our culture works now. We respond and we applaud those who give us firsts. Listen. The Bible implores us not to be these kinds of people. Proverbs 12:18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. There's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. It's important that what scripture says here is not just that the wicked use words like swords. They, they use them to cut. But because the book of Proverbs is so quick to call out the wicked or the evil for their actions, the fact that this person is not called wicked or evil, but just there is one who uses rash words. It means there's no really malicious attempt here. They're not trying to be evil. They're not trying to be mean. They're not trying to be hurtful. 
but they do speak rashly. They do speak quickly. And when they do so, they say things that they ought not say. And they do cut, and they do hurt people. How many times has this been you, friend, in your own life? How many times have you given a quick response to somebody and know that the minute those words left your mouth, you regretted them? And watch them as they cut down your friends, your loved ones, your spouse, your children. You are not to be like this. The tongue of the wise brings healing. And here we would rightly assume the tongue of the wise is not rash in what it speaks out. Proverbs 28, 23. Whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. It's not even that you're not to cut people. You can cut people, but you're not to cut people in order to hurt them. You cut them in order to heal them. It's not even that the the wise person is unwilling to slash someone open. You rebuke somebody, it can be a good thing. You'll find more favor in the end than one who just flatters with his tongue. Proverbs 24, 24, and 25. Whoever says to the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight and a good blessing will come upon them. Those are not rash words. Those are patient words. Those are right rebukes. But they are done in the right manner. They are not done to hurt, but they are done to heal. They rebuke those who are wicked. They don't cut down those simply because they were spoken rashly. Don't speak rashly. Think through what you are saying and say it purposefully. Proverbs ten nineteen. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs fifteen twenty eight. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. They, they think through it. They ponder how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. There's no ponderance there. You just and it comes out. So you can't be like that. We like to think that, that if we say enough words, we can kind of cover up all the ugly stuff that comes out of us, as though we can dilute the pollution that comes out of our mouths. Scripture says it's not that way. The more you speak, if you just throw out words and throw out words and throw out words, your transgressions pile up. It doesn't dilute it. It makes the problem worse. As Mark Twain once said, It's better to be quiet and thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Don't actually know if Twain said that, but I learned a long time ago, if you find a good proverb and you don't know who said it, it's probably Mark Twain. So, When you speak constantly, Scripture warns you that you seem to lose your filter. It gets clogged or blocked, and you no longer know how to stop yourself from saying things that you ought not say. Be patient with how you speak. Give yourself time to give answers and think through the answers that you give. Proverbs 17, 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Everyone wants to give the snarky right answer so that they can be thought of as better by people. Scripture says, if you want to be thought of better by people at times, it's best just to be quiet. Here's the rub. You have to be patient with your speech. Friends, if you don't know something about a topic, don't talk about it. I know you have an opinion on things. 
I know you have an opinion on almost everything that passes your newsfeed. That doesn't mean that you need to comment on it on Facebook. That doesn't mean you need to say anything about it to anyone else until you understand rightly what you're talking about. It is best to be quiet. It's best to be quiet. And it's not that you're not entitled to your opinion. There's nothing here about being entitled to anything. It's about whether you are wise to share your opinion, whether you are wise to open your mouth and speak on things that you have no knowledge. Many of us would do well, all of us would do well to learn to keep our mouths quiet. And what's next is to think patiently through things that we have to respond to. The world will not end because you can't give an answer that moment. Be patient. Be patient. Secondly, speak persuasively. Speak persuasively. Your speech, whether you know it or not, is always used to move people in a direction. It's, it's used to influence the way they think, to, to give them new information about how your day is, or to give them new information about the world, or to make them do something, or to make them think differently or act differently. Your, your speech is always having an impact on people. So if you're going to persuade them, if you're going to change them, do it well. Proverbs 25:15. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. Persuasion doesn't always need to be sought after like a drill sergeant. It's not the loudest person who is always heard. Sometimes it is the loudest person who's always heard, but it's not the loudest person who's always listened to. You can give a soft answer, a pleasant answer, a kind word to people, and that will turn them as much as anything else. As a matter of fact, one of the easiest ways to summarize how the book of Proverbs talks about persuasion is the word sweetness. Is your, is your word sweet? Or is it harsh? Is it bitter toward people? We tend to think that people who yell the loudest are the people who can persuade the most. That's not always the case. Proverbs 16, 21 through 23. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Good sense is a fountain of life to him who has it, but the instruction of fools is folly. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. This is why the Bible is basically saying here, you attract more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. If you want to persuade people in any direction, no matter what you do, it is oftentimes almost always better to do so with kindness, with gentleness, with sweetness, than it is simply to yell. This is what the Bible here calls good sense. It is good sense to act like this. Think through this. Many of us are prone to harsh language. Think through it. How often has that harsh language actually gotten you the response that you want? Not in the short term, certainly yelling at people to do something in the short term will get that, but in the long term, how often are they more responsive to you when you ask them to do something? How often do you get the things that you want by yelling, by screaming, about being harsh and bitter? seems unlikely that no matter how logical your position might be, you, you could have immaculate logic. But people are not logical creatures. We don't respond to logic. 
And even if we know that your logic is right, I can guarantee you, we won't do what you want simply to spite you because we're also cruel and mean creatures. And we won't be ruled by that. People hate meanness, but they are attracted to kindness, which is in great lack today. Be kind in your speech. Be persuasive in it. In our day, we lack persuasiveness because oftentimes we talk very harshly and we have very strong opinions about things that don't matter. So if you're going to be persuasive, could it be that many of us are not persuasive because we lose all of our capital talking and arguing and fighting over things that are non-essential to fight over? Because you, you make stupid and silly statements about football or about education or about philosophy or frankly about the second amendment care about it that's good you can care about the second amendment and i know many of you in here do but could it be that because of the way you speak of that amendment you speak of it so forcefully and so angrily at times and maybe some of you do maybe i'm not picking on anyone in here but i've heard people who do Could it be that you lose your persuasion to bring people to Christ precisely because you care so angrily about that Second Amendment? You would rather have an argument won over the Second Amendment. You would rather have guns in your house than Jesus in that heart. Don't waste it. Speak persuasively. Third, speak perceptively. Speak perceptively. There are a number of Proverbs that implore us to use knowledge and perception of the world around us when we speak. That is, we we have to have heads on our shoulders in order to know how we ought to respond. Proverbs 15.2 The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. In Proverbs 8.7 Wisdom herself says, Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right, for my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Proverbs 10.13 On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. In other words, as we talked about before, wisdom always has knowledge as part of its base. It's not just doing or thinking or desiring what is right, but it is mixed with knowledge. That knowledge is not just knowledge that is found in Scripture. It has to be knowledge and perception of the world that exists around us. It has to be. There is no greater picture of this than two back-to-back Proverbs in the 26th chapter, verses 4 and verses 5. Well known, and many of you can quote these as I go through them. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. The very next proverb, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You actually have commentators coming to this and saying, well, geez, you see how scripture is uh, contradictory. Listen, it's not contradictory. It's there for a reason. It's not like people put this back to back and said, that's probably okay. Not thinking that they didn't sound contradictory. They're contradictory for a reason. Because situations differ. The Bible is not giving you smooth, easy answers for how to answer people in every single situation. Sometimes, answering a fool according to his folly will simply make you sound silly. 
and will make you seem foolish. Sometimes answering a fool according to his folly is the right thing to do because it will show him his folly and he will refuse any more to be wise in his own eyes. You must assess the situation that you are in and answer that situation. Sometimes a sarcastic and apparently foolish reaction is warranted. Paul himself does this in 2 Corinthians. Almost the entire second half of the letter is nothing but a rhetorical and sarcastic rant about his own sufferings and about how he will applaud his own sufferings and he will boast in his own sufferings. Sometimes such an answer just makes you seem foolish. I had a person once who spoke to me and was talking about the church, uh, something that kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up, and he said, you know, 2,000 years, this is what we've got for the church. You can't help see it as a failure. You just, we don't evangelize the way we ought to. Holiness is missing in church. We don't have zeal for the Lord. You know, you, you just sit back and you, you look around and you, you wonder, has the church failed? Now, if I knew this person well, if he was a friend of mine, he knew me well, he knew who I was, and I knew him well, I would respond sarcastically with rich, deep irony, and I would say, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's, you know, and it's not, it's not just the people, it's the leadership, and not just the pastors. I mean, this is a house, right? So the house is crumbling. You get a hold of the contractor who was supposed to build the house, and you say, who was it that was supposed to build this house? He must be a total failure. Let's get rid of him. But of course, to understand what I'm saying there, they would have to understand the passage from Matthew that I was referring to where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. I did not know this man that well and so I didn't respond that way. I didn't respond in the wisest way I possibly could have because I didn't respond patiently. But nevertheless, you have to have wisdom in how you respond to people. You have to know when making them sound foolish is the right thing to do. And when making them sound foolish only makes you sound like a fool. In all of this, we have to have our heads on our shoulders. We have to always be learning and thinking through all of these things. Friends, be wise in how you answer someone. Be patient. Be persuasive. And most of all, be perceptive. But we can also then turn and look at the effects that wise speech should have. You can think that you're being all of those things, but the question becomes, are you actually using wise speech? How can we tell if our speech is actually wise or if, if we are actually fools in how we talk to others? Well, there's a couple things that you can look for. First, wise speech promotes peace. It promotes peace. Friend, do you find that your speech makes peace with people? Everywhere do you go, are there little fires that are left from you throwing gasoline on already tense situations? Look at the effects that your speech has on people. Proverbs twenty four twenty six: Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips. And you might think, I'm not going to give pastor an honest answer ever again. So <laughs> my wife. She gives me honest answers. Now, the rest of you might think, well, that's, that's weird, right? So understand that in... Most other cultures, not even just ancient cultures, although that's true, but in most other cultures, this is simply a sign of friendship. It, it's a sign of peace and bonding between those two people. It doesn't matter 
if, if they were distant or they were close. We save this for mostly intimate relationships now in America especially and in the West. But that's not the case and amongst most cultures. It is a sign of peace between people. That is what the answers ought to be. They ought to give peace between peoples. Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Perhaps the reason why your words don't bring peace is because they're like Brillo pads on the hearts and the ears of people who hear them. Proverbs 17.20, a man of crooked heart does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. Listen to all of these bad things that happen from evil people when they speak. Not only Proverbs 17, 20, but 25, 23. The north wind brings forth rain and a backbiting tongue, angry looks. 26, 28. A lying tongue hates its victims. Isn't that a beautiful picture? A lying tongue hates its victims. When you lie to people, you're making them your victims. And a flattering mouth works ruin. Proverbs 18, 6 through 7 are especially poignant. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are a snare to his soul. You promote peace wherever you go. I was once with an old pastor of mine. He was doing visiting, and this woman that he happened to be visiting had been divorced three times, and she was going through marriage counseling to go into her fourth marriage. And when he had talked to her before, he had asked her about her previous marriages and asked her about the husbands that she had divorced, and she was very clear. These were bad men who mistreated me. We did nothing but fight. We always fight. There was always angry words, always yelling. He said, all three. Said, yeah, same symptoms, all three. He said, once is bad luck, and twice is a bad streak, three times it's probably you. It probably wasn't all her. But friends, if, if there is discord everywhere you go, if your words aren't helping to unify people and create peace, the problem is not that they don't listen to you. The problem might be that they do. Wise words promote peace. Secondly, wise words provide life. It provides life. Our gospel itself comes to us through speech. God doesn't save us through dreams. He does not send out his word to us by emailing us directly. God at AOL.com. He'd probably be on Gmail anyway. He doesn't tweet at us. He doesn't post on our Facebook page no matter how some insipid TV shows tell you these things happen. It doesn't happen that way. Our gospel comes to us the way it came to Paul, the way it came to everybody, through speech, through declaration, through words. Francis of Assisi, who probably never said it, is often misquoted as having said, you are always to preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Francis was probably too bright to ever have said something that foolish because the gospel is nothing else but proclamation. It is words. It doesn't come to us by any other means. Romans 10, 13 through 14. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? Not whom they've never dreamed. Not 
whom they've never seen a Facebook post about, but whom they've never heard. And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Listen to how often Proverbs speaks of good words being life-giving. Proverbs 15.4, A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Proverbs 18.21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. The it there is the tongue. And the fruits are either its, its life or the death that comes from it. There are plenty who love the tongue because it brings death. They love sharp barbs and harsh words and they love put-downs and they think that these are great and grand things. But friend, love life and the life that the tongue can bring. Proverbs 10.21, The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Friend, you give life through your words? Do you find yourself speaking in such a way that you genuinely try to grant people life through what you say? Not just, not just any life, not just eternal life, but even the good things of life in this world. Do you seek to give people a better life? To help lead them into the truth, to instruct them of a better way of living? Do your words do this? Or frankly, do you speak of so many trivial and inconsequential things? Is your speech taken up with things that have no import or matter that you have no time for this kind of stuff? Are you so busy posting viral cat videos you don't have time to talk to a coworker about his troubles? Are you so busy worrying about plans for the weekend you don't have time to comfort your sister who is in distress? Or do you pack your time so tightly that you have no time to meet with believers, to lift up prayers, or even in your own private time, to pray to God because you feel like you don't have the time. Listen, if nothing else, prayer is speech. It is language directed at God. The whole purpose of Jesus Christ coming and paying for your sins is to provide for you a relationship with the Father so that you could be restored in a relationship that you had broken. He paid for your death on a cross so that you might be united to God forever and the Holy Spirit himself was sent so that you might be able to cry out, Abba, Father. And some of you cry out, nothing. Nothing. You're not just cutting off life from others with harsh speech. But by keeping yourself silent, you cut yourself off from life. Pray. Find time for these things. Preach, encourage, rebuke, comfort. Do these things for the upbuilding of God's kingdom, for the good of God's people, for your own good. Promote life. Provide life through your word. And finally, wise speech procures blessing. It procures blessing. It gains blessing. The way we speak has much impact on the way God blesses us. What we're not saying is that you can earn God's blessing by being good with your mouth. You can say certain words and God will then bless you for it. That's not what we mean. But we do mean that God upholds and blesses and delights in certain people because of how they speak. And his wrath also falls on certain people because of how they speak. Proverbs 12, 22.
let this truth reach you. Because you can shame people. You can tell people everywhere that they're going to hell, and you don't act faithfully in any of it, unless there is mercy accompanied with that message. Jonah was not faithful simply because he showed up at Nineveh and seemed to them that God was going to destroy them. is not faithfully expressing who Jesus Christ is. He is expressed as one who will not break through grief. Grief without love is no grief at all. Act faithfully. Proverbs 16, 14. Righteous lips are a delight of the king, and he loves him who speaks what is right. We delight in the love of Jesus Christ our own among those who speak righteously and do what is right before God. Proverbs 8.13 The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride, and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God's hatred for such speech comes from nothing else but the fact that speech is built into the very nature of who he is. When you lie, when you pervert the truth, what you are doing is you are looking at the way the world is, the way God has created it, who not only has created the world with his word, but he upholds it by the power of his word. He creates all of history and time through the power of his word. He speaks sovereignly over the world and has made the world what it is. So when you lie, you are substituting your reality for God's reality and telling people this is a better reality for you to hold on to. hard to believe that God wouldn't take such a thing personally. You think that you can create the world in a better way than God Almighty. Speak the truth. Speak it winsomely. Speak it faithfully. Speak in line with what God has said by speaking rightly, righteously, faithfully. We can honor God as creator and upholder and uphold his good name. It is by his word that he creates. It is by our words that we image him and rightly pattern our lives after him. This can be a source of great blessing for us, for in this we procure God's delight and blessing through how we speak. Friends, understand, I, I, I do this for a living. I know how difficult words can be. I am the embodiment of many of the failures that have been said here today. If I've grown, it's been by the grace of God. I used to be all of those things. I still am. My family will tell you that. But we need to be clear that this is how wise people are to speak. And it is a terribly difficult thing. And matter of fact, I, I'm telling you right now that all of you are underestimating how terribly difficult this is. Spending time looking at your speech, thinking about your speech, thinking about how to wisely respond to people will be one of the most difficult things you ever do. And know that because Scripture tells us that. James 3, 2 through 5. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able to bridle his whole body if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
so also the tongue is a small member, and yet it boasts of great things. Friend, it is difficult to get control of that rudder in your life. There will be times in your life where you will be faced with things and you're not going to know how to respond. You're not going to know what is wise. You're going to feel like you should say something, but you're not sure what that something's going to say. There will be times of storms and distress in your lives, and you're not going to know how to point that rudder. That is why you need to learn how to point that rudder when you're not in those situations. When the waves are calm and the sea is still, learn how to speak well so that when you face those moments, you will better be practiced at how to handle yourselves before them. Friends, learn to speak wisely with patience, persuasion, and perception that we might be people like our king who promotes peace, life, so that we might forever gain the favor of our God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time of thinking through your word. We pray that it might be useful for our souls and for your kingdom. Now, especially as we turn to sing to you, to lift up our voices, to utter words to you. We pray that those words might be true and right, spoken from hearts that trust and believe them and understand what they say, that we might honor you and glorify you as you deserve. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.